Chapters twenty and twenty one of the Mistress of Shenston by Florence Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty A Better Point of View. In the days which followed, Jim Earth suffered all the pangs which come to a man who has made a decision prompted by pride rather than by conviction. It had always seemed to him essential that a man should appear in all things without shame or blame in the eyes of the woman he loved therefore to be obliged suddenly to admit that a fatal blunder of his own had been the cause even in the past of irreparable loss and sorrow to her had been an unacknowledged but intolerable humiliation that she should have anything to overlook or to forgive in accepting himself and his love was a condition of things to which he could not bring himself to submit and her sweet generosity and devotion rather increased than soothed his sense of wounded pride he had been superficially honest in the reasons he had given to myra regarding the impossibility of marriage between them he had said all the things which he knew others might be expected to say he had mercilessly expressed what would have been his own judgment had he been asked to pronounce an opinion concerning any other man and woman in like circumstances as he voiced them they had sounded tragically plausible and stoically just he knew he was inflicting almost unbearable pain upon himself and upon the woman whose whole love was his but that pain seemed necessary to the tragic demands of the entire ghastly situation only after he had finally left her and was on his way back to town did jim earth realize that the pain he had thus inflicted upon her and upon himself had been a solace to his own wounded pride his had been the mistake and it re-established him in his own self-respect and sense of superiority that his should be the decision so hard to make so unfalteringly made bringing down upon his own head a punishment out of all proportion to the fault committed but now that the strain and tension were over his natural honesty of mind reasserted itself forcing him to admit that his own selfish pride had been at the bottom of his high-flown tragedy myra's simple loving view of the case had been the right one yet thrusting it from him he had ruthlessly plunged himself and her into a hopeless abyss of needless suffering by degrees he slowly realized that in so doing he had deliberately inflicted a more cruel wrong upon the woman he loved than that which he had unwittingly done her in the past remorse and regret gnawed at his heart added to an almost unbearable hunger for myra yet he could not bring himself to return to her with this second and still more humiliating confession of failure his one hope was that myra would find their separation impossible to endure and would send for him but the days went by and myra made no sign she had said she would never send for him unless assured that coming to her would mean happiness to him to this decision she quietly adhered in a strongly virile man love towards a woman is in its essential qualities naturally selfish its keynote is i need its dominant i want its full major chord i must possess on the other hand the woman's love for the man is essentially unselfish its keynote is he needs its dominant i am his to do with as he pleases its full major chord let me give all in the book of canticles one of the greatest love poems ever written we find this truth exemplified we see the woman's heart learning its lesson in a fine crescendo of self-surrender in the first stanza she says my beloved is mine and i am his in the second i am my beloved's and he is mine but in the third all else is merged in the instinctive joy of giving 
i am my beloved's and his desire is towards me this is the natural attitude of the sexes designed by an all-wise creator but designed for a condition of ideal perfection no perfect law could be framed for imperfection therefore if the working out prove often a failure the fault lies in the imperfection of the workers not in the perfection of the law in those rare cases where the love is ideal the man's i take and the woman's i give blend into an ideal union each completing and modifying the other but where sin of any kind comes in a false note has been struck in the divine harmony and the grand chord of mutual love fails to ring true into their perfect love jim Earth had introduced the discord of false pride it had become the basis of his line of action and their symphony of life so beautiful at first in its sweet theme of mutual love and trust now lost its harmony and jarred into a hopeless jangle the very fact that she faithfully adhered to her trustful unselfishness acquiescing without a murmur in his decision made readjustment the more impossible thus the weeks went by jim Earth worked feverishly at his proofs drinking and smoking when he should have been eating and sleeping going off suddenly after two or three days of continuous sitting at his desk on desperate bouts of violent exercise he walked down to shenston by night sat in bitterness of spirit under the beeches surrounded by empty wicker chairs a silent ghostly garden party watched the dawn break over the lake prowled around the house where lady ingleby lay sleeping and narrowly escaped arrest at the hands of lady ingleby's night watchman leaving for london by the first train in the morning more sick at heart than when he started another time he suddenly turned in at paddington took the train down to cornwall and astonished the miss murgatroyds by stalking into the coffee-room the gaunt ghost of his old gay self afterwards he went off to horseshoe cove climbed the cliff and spent the night on the ledge dwelling in morbid misery on the wonderful memories with which that place was surrounded it was then that fresh hope and the complete acceptance of a better point of view came to jim Earth. as he sat on the ledge hugging his lonely misery he suddenly became strangely conscious of myra's presence it was as if the sweet wistful grey eyes were turned upon him in the darkness the tender mouth smiled lovingly while the voice he knew so well asked in soft merriment as under the beeches at shenston what has come to you you dearest old boy he had just put his hand into his pocket and drawn out his spirit flask he held it for a moment while he listened spellbound to that whisper then flung it away into the darkness far down to the sea below davy jones may have it he said and laughed aloud whoe'er he be it was the first time jim Earth had laughed since that afternoon beneath the shenston beeches then with the sense of myra's presence still so near him he lay with his back to the cliff his face to the moonlit sea it seemed to him as if again he drew her shaking and trembling but unresisting into his arms holding her there in safety until her trembling ceased and she slept the untroubled sleep of a happy child all the best and noblest in jim Earth awoke at that hollowed memory of faithful strength on his part and trustful peace on hers my god he said what a nightmare it has been and what a fool i to think anything could come between us has she not been utterly mine since that sacred night spent here and i have left her to loneliness and grief i will arise and go to my beloved no past no shame no pride of mine shall come between us any more he raised himself on his elbow and looked over the edge 
the moonlight shone on rippling water lapping the foot of the cliff he could see his watch by its bright light midnight he must wait until three for the tide to go down he leaned back again his arms folded across his chest but myra was still safely within them two minutes later jim Harth slept soundly the dawn awoke him he scrambled down to the shore and once again swam up the golden path toward the rising sun as he got back into his clothes it seemed to him that every vestige of that black nightmare had been left behind in the gay tossing waters on his way to the railway station he passed a farm the farmer's wife had been up since sunrise churning she gladly gave him a simple breakfast of home-made bread with butter fresh from the churn he caught the six o'clock express for town tubbed shaved and lunched at his club at a quarter to three he was just coming down the steps into piccadilly very consciously clothed and in his right mind debating which train he could take for shenston if as in duty bound he looked in at his publishers first when a telegraph boy dashed up the steps into the club and the next moment the hall porter hastened after him with a telegram jermerth read it took one look at his watch then jumped headlong into a passing taxicab charing cross he shouted to the chauffeur and a sovereign if you do it in five minutes as the flag tinged down and the taxi glided swiftly forward into the whirl of traffic jermerth unfolded the telegram and read it again it had been handed in at shenston at two fifteen come to me at once myra a shout of exultation arose within him twenty one michael veritas on the morning of that day while jim earth braced with a new resolve and a fresh outlook on life was speeding up from cornwall lady ingleby sat beneath the scarlet chestnuts watching ronald and billy play tennis they had entered for a tournament and discovered that they required constant practice such as apparently could only be obtained at chenston in reality they came over so frequently in honest-hearted trouble and anxiety over their friend of whose unexpected sorrow they chanced to be the sole confidants lady ingleby refused herself to all other visitors in the trying uncertainty of these few weeks while jim earth was still in england she dreaded questions or comments to jane dalmain she had written the whole truth the dalmains were at worcester attending a music festival in that noblest of english cathedrals but they expected soon to return to overdean when jane had promised to come to her meanwhile ronald and billy turned up often doing their valiant best to be cheerful but myra's fragile look and large pathetic eyes alarmed and horrified them obviously things had gone more hopelessly wrong than they had anticipated they had known at once that earth would not marry lady ingleby but it had never occurred to them that lady ingleby would still wish to marry earth ronald stoutly denied that this was the case but billy affirmed it though refusing to give reasons ronald had never succeeded in extorting from billy one word of what had taken place when he had told lady ingleby that jim earth was the man if you wanted to know how she took it you should have told her yourself said billy and it will be a saving of useless trouble ron if you never ask me again thus the days went by and though she always seemed gently pleased to see them both no possible opening had been given to ronald for assuming the role of manly comforter i shall give it up said ronnie at last in bitterness of spirit i tell you i shall give it up and marry the duchess don't be profane counselled billy 
it would be more to the point to find air than explain to him in carefully chosen language that letting lady ingleby die of a broken heart will not atone for blowing up her husband i always knew our news would make no difference from the moment i saw her go quite pink when she told us his name she never went pink over ingleby you bet i didn't know they could do it after twenty much you know then ejaculated ronny scornfully i've seen the duchess go pink scarlet you mean amended billy so have i old chap but that's another pair of boots as you very well know oh don't be vulgar sighed ronny wearily let's cut the whole thing and go to town henley begins to-morrow but next day they turned up at shenston earlier than usual and that morning lady ingleby was feeling strangely restful and at peace not with any expectations of future happiness but resigned to the inevitable and less apart from jim earth she had fallen asleep the night before beset by haunting memories of cornwall and of their climb up the cliff at midnight she had awakened with a start fancying herself on the ledge and feeling that she was falling but instantly jim earth's arms seemed to enfold her she felt herself drawn into safety then that exquisite sense of strength and rest was hers once more so vivid had been the dream that its effect remained with her when she rose thus she sat watching the tennis with a little smile of content on her sweet face she is beginning to forget thought ronny exultant my vantage he shouted significantly to billy over the net deuce responded billy smashing down the ball with unnecessary violence no cried ronny outside my boy game and a love set to me stay to lunch boys said lady ingleby as the gong sounded and they all three went gaily into the house as they passed through the hall afterwards their motor stood at the door so they bade her good-bye and turned to find their rackets at that moment they heard the sharp ting of a bicycle bell a boy had ridden up with a telegram Grotely waiting to see them off took it picked up a silver salver from the hall table and followed lady ingleby to her sitting-room there seemed so sudden a silence in the house that ronald and billy with one accord stood listening twenty minutes to two said billy glancing at the clock spirits are walking the next moment a cry rang out from lady ingleby's sitting-room a cry of such mingled bewilderment wonder and relief that they looked at one another in amazement then without waiting to question or consider they hastened to her lady ingleby was standing in the middle of the room an open telegram in her hand jim she was saying oh jim her face was so transfigured by thankfulness and joy that neither ronald nor billy could frame a question they merely gazed at her oh billy oh ronald she said he didn't do it oh think what this will mean to jim earth stop the boy quick bring me a telegram form i must send for him at once oh jim jim he said he would give his life for the relief of the moment when someone should step into the tent and tell him he had not done it and now i shall be that someone oh how do you spell piccadilly please call grotely if we lose no time he may catch the three o'clock express grotely tell the boy to take this telegram and have it sent off immediately give him half a crown and say he may keep the change now boys shut the door the whirlwind of excitement was succeeded by sudden stillness 
lady ingleby sank upon the sofa burying her face for a moment in the cushions in the silence they heard the telegraph boy disappearing rapidly into the distance ringing his bell a very unnecessary number of times when it could be heard no longer lady ingleby lifted her head michael is alive she said great scott exclaimed ronny and took a step forward billy made no sound but he turned very white backed to the door and leaned against it for support think what it means to jim earth said lady ingleby think of the despair and misery through which he passed and after all he had not done it may we see asked ronald eagerly holding out his hand for the telegram billy licked his dry lips but no sound would come read it said myra ronald took the telegram and read it aloud to lady ingleby shenston park shenston england reported death a mistake taken prisoner targay escaped arrived cairo large bribes and rewards to pay cable five hundred pounds to cooks immediately michael veritas great scott said ronny again billy said nothing but his eyes never left lady ingleby's radiant face think what it will mean to jim earth she repeated er yes said ronny it considerably changes the situation for him what does veritas mean that replied lady ingleby is our private code michael's and mine my mother once wired to me in michael's name and to michael in mine dear mamma occasionally does eccentric things and it made complications michael was very much annoyed and after that we took to signing our telegrams veritas which means this is really from me just think said ronny he a prisoner and we all marching away but i remember now we always suspected prisoners had been taken at targay and positive proofs of lord ingleby's death were difficult to well don't you know to find i mean there couldn't be a funeral we had to conclude it because we believed him to have been right inside the tunnel he must have got clear after all before Aerith sent the flash and getting in with the first rush been unable to return of course he has reached cairo with no money and no means of getting home and the chaps who helped him will stick to him like leeches till they get their pay what shall you do about cabling lady ingleby seemed to collect her thoughts with difficulty of course the money must be sent and sent at once she said oh ronny could you go up to town about it for me i would give you a cheque and a note to my bankers they will know how to cable it through could you ronny michael must not be kept waiting yet i must stay here to tell jim it never struck me that i might have gone up to town myself and now i have wired to jim to come down here oh my dear ronny could you of course i could said ronald cheerfully the motor is at the door i can catch the two-thirty if you write the note at once no need for a cheque just write a few lines authorizing your bankers to send out the money i will see them personally explain the whole thing and hurry them up the money shall be in cairo to-night if possible lady ingleby went to her davenport no sound broke the stillness save the rapid scratching of her pen then billy spoke i will come with you he said hoarsely why do that objected ronald you may as well go on in the motor to overdean and tell them there i am going to town said billy decidedly 
then he walked over to where the telegram still lay on the table may i copy this he asked of lady ingleby do she said without looking around and ronny you take the original to show them at the bank ah no i must keep that for jim here is paper make two copies billy billy had already copied the message into his pocket-book with shaking fingers he copied it again handing the sheet to ronald without looking at him the note written lady ingleby rose thank you ronald she said thank you more than i can say i think you will catch the train and good-bye billy but billy was already in the motor End of chapters 20 and 21